Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 7 from Return to the Hiding Place by Hans Poulet. Chapter 7 Day of Doom and Destruction The Jewish year, 5704, was about to begin and we heard warnings. You'll see, the Huns will raid the hospitals and take away the Jews on their New Year's Day. They will make it a day of sorrow for the people. It was Wednesday, September 29, 1943, and during the previous week, we had finally returned to the home of the Tembooms and the relative safety of the Angel's Den. Thea had found a new place to hide, but Mary, you see Hunk and I were glad to be back with each other in familiar and trusted surroundings. Even as we settled in, Tante Bep began to introduce a new addition to the group, but Yussi recognized her at once and said, Well, well, we wait for the Messiah, and look who comes. Is this not the charming uh, Mir- Mirjam? the daughter of my good friends. She smiled uh, broadly. Mr. Mosio, I never expected to meet you in these circumstances. Now I feel at home with you around. Yusi turned, and with a wide sweep of his arm, he said, This is Mirjum Di Jung, daughter of one of the most important men in our Mishpurch synagogue family in Amsterdam. If the Almighty, bless his name, will bless you with old age, you will still say proudly, I've known Mirjam, the daughter of the great Dijon from Amsterdam. Hush, please don't talk such nonsense, she interrupted, embarrassed. I can better introduce myself. Mirjam's parents, I learned, were still in Amsterdam. Because of his position, his, her father had until now been exempt from deportation, but following cautious advice, she disappeared while it was still possible. At 18 years of age, she would not be able to provide the quiet stability of Thea, but in a few days she became a close part of the group. Opa, in particular, enjoyed her cheerful chatter and loved to have her around, and she immediately took to the old patriarch and try to assist him and to anticipate his needs. During evening prayers that first night, he commended her and her her family to our good Lord's keeping, and she whispered, thank you, and kissed him goodnight. Since she was the daughter of an Orthodox Jewish family, she allowed herself to be guided religiously by Yusi, and she quietly joined him in his daily prayers and ceremonial duties whenever possible. She also helped good-naturedly with the domestic chores. That evening, in the parlor, she listened quietly to music, sitting on the carpet or leaning against Tante Bep's chair. At daybreak, the first bad news came. During the night, Hank Wiesel's father was arrested by the Gestapo, together with a Jewish lady and her baby, the Wiesel's, had been sheltering. 
The Wazels were part of the same underground network as the Ten Booms. They exchanged addresses, ration cards, etc., and that meant that our hiding place was unsafe again. It was as if the Gestapo kept coming closer and closer. Again, good friends had fallen into their hands and were at their mercy, if they had any. Their future was probably hopeless, and our grief was great. The arrested Jews were, would certainly be taken to the notorious camps in the East, and the members of the underground network would be submitted to ruthless interrogation. In turn, that interrogation might lead to the arrest of an entire group. We decided reluctantly that we had to disappear again and leave the family and house as innocently and inconspicuously as possible. <clears throat> But before lunch, a second blow fell. During the previous evening and early morning, in massive raids, the Gestapo had rounded up all the Jews they could find in Amsterdam and had taken them to the railway station, where cattle cars, car trains took them directly to Poland. Mary and I were in the kitchen with Tante Bep preparing lunch when we heard the messenger talking to Tante Kess. He also confirmed that Mirjam's parents had been among those arrested. We were stunned. This hit us personally. Tante Kess took control immediately. She cautioned us not, not to tell Mirjam the fate of her parents. We didn't understand why, but we promised not to tell. Then Tante Kess went upstairs and told the others about the mass arrests in Amsterdam. The shock was indescribable. Scores of relatives and friends of Yusi, Mary, and Mirjam were still in Amsterdam, their fates now unknown. Yusi walked up and down the room, muttering and chanting softly, his hands lifted up in supplication to the Almighty for help and protection. Mirjam was extremely upset, crying. She insisted that she needed to go to Amsterdam now to find out whether her parents had escaped. It was impossible to calm her down. Mary finally took her to her room, where they both cried out their anxiety over their loved ones. But Mirjam still didn't know the truth. Lunch was late, and nobody spoke. Each one was alone in his or own, her own private agony. After lunch, Opa took his Bible and turned to Psalm 23. Mirjam sat next to him. He laid his old hand on her clenched fists and read the words of ultimate truth. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Mirjam began to cry again, softly. When Opa finished reading, he folded his hands over hers and prayed for us and with us, prayed and in as intensely and as involved as we had ever heard. Trust even in the valley of death, for he will not fail us, nor all those who put their ultimate confidence in him, he prayed. We sat there numb, heads bowed, tears in our eyes, suffering, rebelling, desperate, outraged. Into thy almighty hands, O Lord, our Lord. You see, Mary and Mirjam, went upstairs, and together they said the ritual prayers and dedicated their new year to the Almighty. Then Yusi brought them downstairs to the living room. 
we have greeted our new year together. Now we would like you to join us in our New Year's wish next year in Jerusalem. The usually reticent Tante Bep responded first. It was as if she had waited for something like this. She stepped forward, and we could hear her emotions breaking loose. Oh, you see, if that could only be true, let's pray for that. Yes, next year in Jerusalem, you see. Her eyes shone, and she unexpectedly held him close and gave him a tight hug. Then she turned to Mary and said, Mary, love, next year in Jerusalem. And she hugged her, too. By this time, everyone had joined in, hugging and shaking hands, as if our hopes and gestures could make it come true. Later in the day, after preparing for yet another departure, Mirjam helped me with the dishes. When we heard that Hank's mother also had been arrested, Mirjam, in spite of her own worries, commiserated, and he does not yet know that his parents are in the hands of the Gestapo. Upset, uh, I turned away from her. Uh, here she was, her own parents gone, and she didn't know it yet. It had come close before, but never this close for me. I had led a sheltered life, and now I felt so helpless against such evil, such malignancy. Uh, malignancy. I didn't know what to say, afraid that it would be only empty words. Suddenly my heart, not, not my mind, remembered, even in the valley of death. My feeling of helplessness receded, and a deep-seated trust took over. Quietly I started to talk to Mirjam about our uncertain future and that of our families. You don't know where your parents are, and we don't know what will happen to us. You don't even know if you shall arrive safely at your new place, and I don't know whether I'll be arrested tonight. Everything is so insecure for us all. But remember what Opa read to us after lunch? We are never alone, Mirjam. Our God will be with us even in this valley of death. We do have to trust him, for we can't handle this ourselves anymore. She nodded, her head bowed in the living room. Tante Bep overheard and came into the kitchen, smiling. She hugged Mirjam and put her arm around my shoulders. Yes, my children, that's the answer. If you trust him, God will be with you wherever you have to go, or wherever we have to go. Her faith shone through her pale features. Opa had has always told us, she continued, that God gives us more strength when the burdens grow greater. He'll carry us through on eagle's wings, if necessary, right into his arms. Her, her solemn words radiated the trust she felt as fact. You will have to leave this home shortly, but go with him. Tante Bep turned away, overcome with emotion. We had never known her to be so open and intimate with us. It was a gift from heaven at the right time and place. That evening we vacated the bayet again, leaving it strangely silent. Yusi again went to the Vermeers, while Mirjam went to the Menemes family in 
Hempstead, which we knew to be a center of resistance work. Before she left, though, Tante Kess told her the news about her parents' arrest. She listened calmly and then left the room to be alone. Tante Kess sent Mary up to Miriam's room to comfort her, for Mary had suffered a similar loss. When Miriam came down, ready to leave, she kissed everyone farewell until she ended up at Opa's shoulder, crying. God bless you, my child, he said, comforting her. It was the last we would see of Mirjam for the duration of the war. Mary and I left last to return to my parents' home. That day I went through the depths of agony. I saw the fear of death in the eyes of my hunted friends, and I felt completely powerless to do anything. I silently blamed the Allies. They appeared to be fighting the war as though it was exclusively a matter of victory on the battlefield. But this war was different. Didn't they understand this? The demonic Nazi regime was ruthlessly destroying everything and everyone who didn't fit their goals or swear to their ideology. This war was becoming a battle against evil itself, not only against armed forces. Defenselessness, uh, people, mothers, children, the elderly were persecuted and murdered. Why didn't the British and the Americans bomb the Dutch railway centers at Amsfurt and Arnhem and at least stop the death transports to the east? Time and again I cried silently, Why, O oh God, do you allow all this to happen? Why don't you do something? But at the same time I realized that he would not come down and wipe out Nazism. Nazism could be defeated only by fighting it to death at the allied lines of battle and through active resistance underground. That evening I realized I couldn't remain in on the sidelines any longer. I had to do my part, no matter how insignificant it might be, to fight this evil. For two uneasy weeks, the Bayet was not considered safe enough for us to return we heard conflicting messages about expected Gestapo raids in Harlem, about the lack of progress of the Allied forces, and about mass arrests in Amsterdam again. Daily air raid warnings signaled uh, continuing and intensifying Allied attacks on the German war industry. Rumors of an invasion increased. Mary's birthday celebration on September 30 was sober overshadowed by the bad news from Amsterdam. Our small but heartfelt presence of flowers, a bar of deluxe soap, and a copy of one of her favorite Italian novels found in a second-hand bookshop brightened her somber day somewhat. The papers announced the execution of 19 resistance workers as a Gestapo revenge for the murder of two of their henchmen, uh, Semfort and Posthuma. Ten days later, 140 resistant workers were shot, and throughout the Netherlands, churches held prayer services for those hundreds of arrested resistant workers whose fate was still in the hands of a merciless enemy. The terror continued, however, with the Gestapo relentlessly probing each corner and possible hiding 
and possible hiding place during a raid on a farm near Harlem. Some 50 Jews were arrested following a shootout in which Von Dunn, a notorious police officer from Hempstead, was killed. We rejoice because he had been a merciless hunter of Jews and students, but that brought even more Gestapo raids on a large scale all over the area and set more resistance workers on the run. We heard that Mirjam had to move again because... Her host himself had to go into hiding. She went to the Dundorps, the family of a Dutch Reformed minister in Hempstead, who was quite involved in underground work. We felt the incredible chaos all around us, like a small war within the main war. The experience of those weeks profounded, affected our small band, profoundly affected our small band, although only temporarily dispersed. We felt uprooted and felt a need to keep close contact with each other. We passed messages between hiding places and exchanged bits of news. We missed each other and the inspiring company of the Ten Booms, the evenings in the parlor, and Opa's evening prayers. The Ten Booms felt the same way. Even Tante Bet came to visit us several times. We heard that when they visited Yussi at the Vermeers, they had a vehement argument with him, and they told us they didn't want him to return to the Bayet. A week later, however, they had apparently made their differences, made up their differences, and he was as welcome at their home as he had always been. It showed how tense and vulnerable all of us had become. Saturday, October 9, was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, one of the Jewish High Holy Days. It was a day of fasting and ceremonies for Orthodox Jews. It didn't surprise me that Mary wanted to celebrate it with Yussi at the Vermeer home. She had come to the Temboom home as a sophisticated, non-practicing Jewish lady, very much a part of the Dutch civilization. Like so many Jewish Dutch citizens, she was first and foremost Dutch, then Jewish, way down the line. But gradually, the Nazi atrocities and her personal fear and suffering broke down her self-confidence. The persecution of Jewish-Dutch citizens made her increasingly aware of her Jewish descent and heritage. The more she related to the suffering of those already deported or killed, the more she turned to the indestructible roots of Jewish tradition. Yussi, with his unquestioning and unshakable Old Testament trust in the Almighty, embodied that tradition. By sharing with Yussi the purification and repentance before the Almighty, who had been the refuge of her people through the ages, she expressed in her way how dependent on his mercy she had become. It was a process we were all going through, each in his own, or his or own, her own way. The raging gale broke us loose from our anchors of independence and self-assurance, and we searched desperately for skyhooks to hang on to. Next time, Chapter 8, Call to Arms.